0: saw this glorious full moon. How many of you saw the full moon last night? Oh, only 89.5%. I wish the other 11% could have seen it. It was just absolutely glorious. It was 14% bigger because it reached its perigee, which is the closest to the earth that it gets. Uh, Just uh, four hours after reaching the perigee, it became a full moon. And it's 30% brighter than any other full moon in 2008. So I'm glad you got to see that. Let's turn to Isaiah, the 40th chapter, when we see God's creation. We see His love. We see His power, His nature. And Isaiah 40 is a tremendous verse, a tremendous chapter that shows His greatness, His omnipotence, His creation. Isaiah 40, verse 25, and of course I encourage all of you to read the whole chapter, a very powerful chapter on God's power and nature, but here let's start in verse 25 of Isaiah 40. "'To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal?' says the Holy One. "'Lift up your eyes on high.'" And I hope all of you got to see that, either last night or even last night while we saw the full moon. There in the south sky was still Venus and Jupiter, although getting a little distance apart, they were of course at a conjunction uh, last uh, December 5th, uh, December 1st. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. They didn't come from nothing. Who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name. And, of course, there are infinite numbers. Some of the astronomers have tried to count the stars and the galaxies. And, of course, years ago they said there was probably about a 100 billion galaxies, each galaxy with about a 100 billion stars. And since that time, uh, it's been more difficult to quantify the numbers of galaxies and the number of stars. But God calls them all by name. By the greatness of His might and the strength of His power, Not one is missing. And in urban areas, of course, light pollution may prevent us from seeing some of the constellations and stars. But I would encourage you, those who have uh, Internet access, to access HubbleSite.org. That's the great um, uh, camera that's out in space, the Hubble uh, camera that's out there. And they have a picture album. If you go to HubbleSite.org and click on Gallery, and then click on categories. They have galaxies, solar system, stars, nebulae, exotic, and universe are the categories of the photographs taken by the Hubble telescope. Uh, The galaxies, uh, spiral galaxy M100, I was looking at them last night. Star cluster NG2074 is in the large Magellanic cloud. and These are glorious colors, all kinds of beautiful colors. Uh, variations of colors and size. There's the majestic sombrero galaxy, M104, and the whirlpool galaxy, and then the nebulae. I think, uh, how many of you have seen the Eagle Nebula sometime? Okay, only about uh, 3% of you. I think the rest of you need to see the Eagle Nebula, the Cone Nebula, and the famous Horsehead Nebula. Uh, Just great, wonderful photos of God's creation. So I hope that you'll get to see that. Let's turn to Romans, the first chapter, Romans 1. As I mentioned last week uh, in the announcements, when you see the heavens above, they declare God's glory. That's Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show His handiwork. In Romans, the first chapter, in verse 18, again, we have affirmation of God's greatness and the fact that He is the Creator. Verse 18 of Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to him. Atheists and agnostics are ignoring the evidence right in front of their eyes. God has shown it to them. How? Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. God is love. He's the creator. He's the lawgiver. He's the life giver. He's the sustainer, the designer, the one who fulfills prophecy, the one who answers our prayers. It's clearly understood by the things that are seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. Even God's nature is clearly seen so that they are without excuse. So God reveals His love through the creation. God is love. Let's turn to 1 John 4 and verse 8. I think all of you should know the two references that describe the very essence of our Creator and our Father in Heaven. 1 John four eight and 1 John 4.16, the simple and powerful eternal statement that God is is love. 1 John 4 and verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And then verse 16. Let's start with uh, verse uh, 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. And I'm going to come back to that uh, concept of perfection. So note that in here, His love has been perfected in us. Has God's love been perfected in you? That's going to be part of the theme of uh, the sermon today. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. And when you're honoring God's name, and you're honoring the name of our Lord and Savior, who is Christ? He is the way, the truth, and the life, John fourteen six. 6. He's the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Life, in Isaiah 9. And here He is called the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Do we know that love? Do we believe that love? God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. This profound statement, this eternal truth, that God is love is here in 1 John 4, verse 8 and verse, uh, verse 16. Notice while we're here, uh, verse 18 Well, we'll start off with verse 16, because I see the word perfected is included there. Verse 17 of 1 John 4, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. We are being conformed to the very image of Christ. That's Romans 8, verse 29. And as Christ is in us, so are we. We are not perfected yet, but we are in the process of being perfected. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. I think I've told you the story before. I was a faculty member at Ambassador College, and sometimes there would be a student or a friend who said, well, you you didn't uh, return the book that I loaned you, Mr. Ames. I said, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, I, I was a little nervous. I said, well, you don't love me. Why? Well, because you had this nervousness, this fear, if uh, in, there's no fear in love, if you loved me, you would have told me that I need to return the book you know loan me. So we need to understand that there is no fear in love, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That's our goal. We need to be made perfect in love. God is love. So in the sermon today, I want to ask the question, how does God express His love? And how should we respond to His love? And how should we express love? And can we understand and realize the depth of God's love? He loves every human being on earth in every nation. In fact, God demonstrates His love in many different ways. He demonstrates His love by correcting His children And correcting nations, punishing them in love. And he also demonstrates unconditional love, as we'll see in the sermon. What is unconditional love? And how is it expressed? Are you able to express unconditional love? The title of the sermon today is Unconditional Love. First, let's understand one of the ways in which God expresses love. He expresses love in the creation. In fact, the universe is the environment for human beings to learn about the Creator and His love. In our book that the Real God Proofs and Promises by Dr. Winnell, he writes quote, A growing number of scientists in the field of physics, astronomy, and cosmology are acknowledging what is called the anthropic principle Greek anthropos meaning man. This principle, suggested in the 1970s by physicist Brandon Carter, states that for life to exist on Earth, all the conditions had to be pre-planned from the very beginning of the cosmos. As Harvard PhD Patrick Glenn notes, and he quotes Dr. Glenn, quote, the most basic explanation for the universe is that it seems to be a process orchestrated to achieve the end or goal of creating human beings, end of quote. I mentioned in a previous sermon about the pale blue dot, uh, is it that uh, when the earth was photographed in space, here was this little tiny dot in the Milky Way galaxy, and so the agnostics say, look at that. Look at that tiny little dot. What that shows us is that we are meaningless. We are so tiny in the vast realm of the universe, we are nothing, and life is meaningless. They came to a drastically wrong conclusion, and as we already saw in Romans, the first chapter, they are without excuse. But let me go back to the booklet on uh, the real God, Proofs and Promises. uh, Patrick Glynn says. The most basic explanation for the universe is that it seems to be a process orchestrated to achieve the end or goal of creating human beings. That's the first part, but God's plan goes beyond the human level, in the human realm. And that's from God, the Evidence by Glenn, uh, pages 7 and 32. Glenn states further, writes Dr. Winnale, quote, from the scientist viewpoint, the fact that the universe looks as though it had a definite beginning might be upsetting enough, but what appears to drive cosmologists nearly to distraction is the anthropic principle. End of quote. And that is, Dr. O'Neill explains, that the earth and the universe were created for mankind. That is an astounding observation for a scholar to make today. So the universe is our environment to learn about God and to learn the lessons of life. He's the Creator. He's created all things through Jesus Christ, Ephesians 3 and verse 9. He created the heavens and the earth, as it tells us in Genesis 1 and verse 1. And When we look at the creation, we look at the variety of flora and fauna, of trees and plants and flowers, just seems limitless. We look at the variety of fish and uh, animals... Almost seems limitless. In Genesis 2 and verse 20, Adam gave names to the animals. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. End of quote. I like that comment. But during the great flood of uh, Noah's time, God caused all these animals to come into the ark. And Jesus himself referred to certain characteristics of animals. I won't turn there, but i'll mention matthew twenty three thirty seven when Jesus said, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to her. How often I would gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. There are certain characteristics in animals that We can identify with as human tendencies and vice versa. But God gives us the creation to enjoy. Let's turn to Proverbs 12 and verse 10. God expresses his love through the creation. Proverbs 12 and verse 10. How many of you have a pet? Let me see your hands. Oh, good. It looks again. This is a good 73%. Very good that have animals or pets. Here in uh, Proverbs 12 and verse 10, God gives us this instruction. A righteous man regards the life of his animal. In other words, he's caring for his animals. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Quite a contrast to man's care of animals. Uh, Some animals by nature demonstrate uh, an affinity or an affection to humans. Uh, we have three cats. Uh, we uh, They generally express uh, appreciation for us, I think. Tiger is the great hunter. Uh, Mama Kitty is like a, a matriarch, and a little Callie for Calico is most affectionate, and uh, she will lick my hand, or if I... Sitting down at uh, my desk and uh, just have my slippers on and bare feet, she'll start licking my feet. And I, well, this is really this is what a wonderful affectionate cat we have here. Let's turn to Isaiah the eleventh chapter, Isaiah eleven. Of course, they're not perfect. They have uh, cat nature. We have to overcome uh, human nature. You eleven, uh, Isaiah eleven, and verse six. We know that. There is a time when the very nature of animals will be changed, and this is reflected in our corporate seal. Isaiah 11 and uh, verse 6, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Well, that's not true today. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. That's not happening today. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Just a beautiful millennial picture of the future the cow and the bear shall graze their young one shall lie down together and a lion shall eat straw like the ox um, verse 8 the nursing child shall play on by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the, the knowledge of the eternal the lord as the waters cover the sea Some of you are familiar with the remarkable story of uh, Christian the Lion. In uh, 1971, Anthony Burke and John Rendell published a book titled A Lion Called Christian, the true story of a remarkable bond between two friends and a lion. On December 9, 2008, uh, the Christian Science Monitor reported this interesting development. According to bookseller.com, that book, that is the book written in 1971, Called A Lion Called Christian has now been picked up and will be released with new photos. In addition, a version of the book will be written for children 7 through 11. Random House is predicting that, quote, A Lion Named Christian will become one of the great classics of animal literature. Well, how many of you have seen a video version of Christian the Lion? Okay, oh well, the rest of you, the other Uh, 90% are going to see it, uh, a version of Christian the Lion now. A viral video is defined as a video that has garnered widespread popularity through the Internet. An Associated Press called a video of this lion story the third most popular viral video of 2008. And the Christian Science Monitor reported that more than 44 million viewers have watched it. I'll just give you a little background before we see the video. In 1969, two Australians named Anthony Ace Burke and John Rendell were intrigued by Harrods Department Store in London. They found two lion clubs in the exotic clubs. lion cubs. They found two lion cubs in the exotic animal section. They purchased one of the cubs. They kept it in the basement of a London furniture store where they worked. But the cub grew from 35 pounds over a year's time or more to 185 pounds, and they knew they had to do something. So they contacted George Adamson, who is the featured naturalist portrayed in the 1966 movie Born Free. My wife and I saw that movie years ago. In that movie, Joy and George Adamson raised a lioness, Elsa, and uh, helped her transition back into her natural habitat. It was a beautiful movie. So Christian the lion, after he'd grown to this 185 pounds, flew with Burke and Rendell to Africa, where George Adamson introduced Christian to his natural habitat. So they flew him to Africa, put him into his natural habitat, and a year later they wanted to go back and see him. In 1972, the two men flew to Africa to see their friend Christian the lion. They were told that the lion would not remember them. What happened was amazing. The Born Free Foundation has given us permission to share this video with you and to include it in our sermon video for distribution. We've also included music from our hymnal arranged instrumentally by Dylan King, and I'm sure you'll recognize it won't be long now now and other familiar numbers. What will you see in this video in three and a half minutes? You'll see a demonstration of love and friendship that is millennial. So God has given us an awesome environment to learn about His love and His creation. And one way God expresses His love is through the creation, through the animals, through the plants, through the universe. But how great is God's care and concern towards His creation? And how would you describe the greatness of God's love? It's so great that it's unconditional What is unconditional love? Simply love expressed without condition. Has God ever expressed unconditional love? You know the answer to that question in the precious verse of the Bible, so let's turn there to John 3, verse 16. John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world, every human being on the face of the earth, that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Did God put conditions on that act of love? The sacrifice on behalf of all humanity was unconditional. Did this act of love occur after we had repented? Or was it when we were yet unconverted? Remember, as Jesus was being crucified, he asked the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's Luke 23 and verse 34. Let's turn to Romans, the fifth chapter. And again, another profound section of scripture. Romans, the fifth chapter, starting with verse six. For if when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, There were no conditions on Christ dying for the ungodly. You didn't become converted so that Christ would die for you when you were converted. You were ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about those with whom you have disagreements or conflicts. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved, future tense, from wrath through him. For if when we were reconciled, when we were enemies, we weren't his friends, If when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Though Christ died for us when we were his enemies, his love is unconditional. Dr. Meredith described God's love in his sermon, What is God's Kind of Love? That was January 21st, 2006. This is what uh, Dr. Meredith mentioned or stated in his sermon. Christ's entire life showed the way. If you see and drink in of this far more than I can do in this sermon with that thought in mind, that is, Christ's entire life showed the way, how did Christ exemplify love? How did Christ exemplify kindness? How did Christ exemplify service? How did Christ exemplify sacrifice? We would get a very thorough and balanced view of that. We remember the Lamb of God every Passover season. And every time we pray in the name of Christ, we should, of course, be reminded of His living, loving generosity and sacrifice for us, that He is our great High Priest. You might uh, listen to our sermon, Our Loving, Living Savior. It's in our church library. But I encourage you to meditate on the greatness of God's love. Let's take a look at a couple scriptures where he shows his love towards us as a father Luke the 11th chapter Luke 11 and this again is one of those awesome promises the Bible is a treasure house of precious promises and golden guarantees and this is certainly one of them Luke 11 and verse 13 if you then being evil oh you're a carnal you're you're not divine. But if you then being evil, Jesus said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, every normal carnal person can do that, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's an awesome promise that God gives. We need to be praying for that, and I'm sure you do, that God will renew your spirit daily. I won't turn there in Matthew, the seventh chapter, but Again, it's the parallel account, Matthew seven eleven, where Jesus said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Let's turn to 1 John, the third chapter. So God will give us good things. He's a Father. He loves us. He's a better Father than any human father. 1 John, the third chapter. 1 John 3, and verse 1. Again, these are just deep Scriptures, deep meanings for us. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. How does God express His love toward us? By calling us His children. It's evidence of His love. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now are we the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We're going to be born as immortalized, glorified children into His family. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. We realize that God has extended us Unconditional love, but he expects those who receive that love to respond to him. God will guide and correct every son that he loves and every daughter, of course, as well. God exercises loving authority. So while God exercises unconditional love, he also exercises discipline and judgment. Let's see one of the examples of that in Exodus the thirty-first, sorry, Exodus 34 starting with verse 4. Exodus 34, and starting in verse 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, then rose early in the morning, went up Mount Sinai, as the Eternal had commanded him, and took in his hands the two tablets of stone. This is the second time that he goes up into the mountain to get the tablets after the Israelites had committed idolatry. The Eternal descended in the cloud and stood with Him there and proclaimed the name of the Eternal. And the Eternal passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, the Eternal, the Eternal God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So, God is love and He will correct and punish in love. Let's turn to Jeremiah the ninth chapter, Jeremiah 9. So, while He loves unconditionally, He will also discipline His children. Jeremiah the ninth chapter and verse 24. Just uh, one verse of showing God's loving-kindness. And that uh, term, loving-kindness, occurs 29 times in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 29 and verse... I'm sorry, Jeremiah 9 and verse 24. Jeremiah 9 and verse 24. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Yeah. How do we know that we know him? Well, if we keep his commandments, it tells us in 1 John that I am the eternal, exercising loving kindness. And that word loving kindness occurs uh, 29 times in the Old Testament. Judgment and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight. So God loves human beings. He loves them so much, He wants us to learn His way of life. Let's turn to the Correction with Love chapter. So you all know where that is. I was... uh, test you on what chapter headings you should know. That's Hebrews 12. For those of you who don't know the correction with love chapter, Hebrews the 12th chapter. But he loves us so much, when we go astray, he corrects us in love. And when nations go astray, he corrects them in love. He expresses his love by correcting his children, his people, and nations of the world. Hebrews 12 and verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. So God corrects us. I've been corrected many times by God. And I know it's His correction in in, uh, particular cases, and I won't describe those, or why and how I know, but I know that there's when you sow, what you sow you're going to reap, as it tells us in Galatians 6. But if you endure chastening, he says in verse 7, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten or does not correct? So this is quoted from Proverbs the third chapter. God corrects every son he loves he corrects nations, and now as we come up to a new government in the United States, Dr. Meredith has written to us in a co-worker letter and urging us to pray for the new president, the president-elect, and I wonder just what we should do. What should we expect as a nation with this new leadership? God is going to correct our nation in love if the leadership of the country, and if we as citizens of this country, and I shouldn't just limit it to the United States, but all of our Western world, do not repent and change and turn about the moral decline and the consequences, of course, that result from it. But government leadership, including the President and Congress, should do what this coming year? They should acknowledge our national sins including the number of millions of unborn babies being murdered. We should acknowledge our greed, our fraud, our stealing from God in business and in government. And the government has not practiced the biblical principle of living within its means. The whole nation has robbed God. Let's see that in Malachi, the third chapter. We look at... uh, this commandment of tithing, and perhaps in an individual perspective. But let's look at it even in a broader perspective regarding our nation. Malachi, the third chapter, and verse 8, "...will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me." you ever imagine that you would rob, take money from God? "...in what way have we robbed you?" God answers, "...in tithes and offerings." You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, notice this, even this whole nation. The whole nation has robbed God. You think God is going to let the nation get away with that? He says, You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Eternal of Hosts if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. God indicts the whole nations, and we in our telecast and publications have called for national repentance numerous times. What should the new president and Congress do? They should do exactly what President Abraham Lincoln did several times. call a national day of fasting. President Lincoln signed a proclamation on March thirtieth, 1863, setting aside a day of fasting, April 30th, that same year. And you can read some of the excerpted uh, texts uh, from Mr. Armstrong's booklet, The United States and British Commonwealth and Prophecy, page 156, or in the November-December Tomorrow's World magazine um, this year, Thanksgiving and Our National Purpose. But this is what President Lincoln wrote in his proclamation. Quote, "...whereas the Senate of the United States do devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God in all the affairs of men and nations." Does that statement sound a little out of place in today's uh, governmental atmosphere? What an incredible statement. Let me read it again. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God in all the affairs of men and of nations, has by resolution requested the President to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations, I read to you a few weeks ago in the Thanksgiving sermon, George Washington used that same phraseology whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed, whose God is the Lord. He concluded, and I'll skip part of it, it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. So we pray that our new president, with the support of Congress, will follow President Lincoln's example. President Abraham Lincoln issued at least two more similar proclamations over the next uh, 16 months after the one I just read to you. And God preserved the nation. Yes, God loves our Western nations, and He loves all peoples on the face of the earth. But we must respond to that love. And we must, as the Western world, repent of our individual and national sins. We need people who can stand in the gap, as we heard in the sermonette, who are pioneering God's way of life and unconditional love. Dr. Meredith commented in his sermon on God's kind of love as follows. "...some people would think that love is being soft-headed. No, God says if you love your child... You will correct him. That is not a lack of love. So God corrects nations, and we as parents need to discipline our children. God the Father extends to us unconditional love, but he also practices loving authority. My parents had those attributes, but not perfectly. But I knew they loved me, and I knew they supported me. In my youth, I did things I knew was wrong, were wrong, But I had the confidence that my parents loved me and that if I ever went astray and returned to a right behavior in life, I knew that they would accept me, just like the father of the prodigal son accepted his repentant son. In fact, when God granted me repentance in 1961, I could look back on my life and realize that I had incurred the death penalty because I had transgressed the Ten Commandments. I'd read Romans 6.23 and understood that the wages of sin is death. And Under the old covenant administration, one could literally be put to death for such transgressions. For example, in Exodus 21.15, it states, And he who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. I had struck my father once as a young boy. And at age 25, I realized that I was under the death penalty because I had struck my father years earlier. And of course, I was under the death penalty for many other sins, not just for that one, both in the letter and in the Spirit. But God let me live years beyond the time that I incurred the death penalty because His unconditional love led me to repentance. Turn to Romans, the second chapter, Romans 2. Be sure to read Mr. Apardian's World Ahead Commentary on True Repentance. It's in our church bulletin here today. We heard about in the announcements. But Romans 2 and verse 4 is a beautiful verse, and it just shows how God's unconditional love works. I knew that my parents had love for me, even though I would go astray. I knew that I could return because they had that kind of love for me. Romans 2 and verse 4. Despise the, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering? Over a long period of time, God is being patient with your sins, with your lack of growth, with your lack of repentance not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. So we need to extend that kind of goodness, that kind of unconditional love to others. God's goodness leads us to repentance. As a parent, do you have unconditional love towards your children? Or even as a member of your family, have unconditional love towards other members? In your family. Dr. Jeff Fall wrote the booklet Successful Parenting God's Way. This is what he wrote on uh, page three. He describes the balance between loving authority and unconditional love. Quote One of the fundamental keys in parenting is that we must actively be demonstrating to our children that God's way works for us. By the example of our own lives, we must be able to show our children that God's principles will bring joy to their lives far beyond what Satan's system has to offer. We as parents must expose our children to the truth of the Bible, not just in the truth doctrine we teach, but also in the truth we live. If children experience a parent who gives unconditional love, has clear-cut rules that are consistently reinforced and genuinely displays the fruits of God's Spirit, it will not be difficult for them to develop respect and obedience to God as they grow up. One of the important characteristics parents uh, must teach their children is self-control. I think I learned more about self-control and discipline in my experience in high school sports and in the U.S. Army. But my parents did teach me and my sister the value of work as a child, one of my chores was to vacuum the carpets on Saturday morning. We didn't grow up in the church, of course, and that was before I knew the truth. But we were given 25 cents for doing those chores. And by the way, I still vacuum the carpets to this day. So, Mr. Dan Hall gave an encouraging sermonette here in Charlotte on November 15, 2008, titled, Give Hope to Your Children. And he gave several examples of how God blessed his son and daughter in spite of Sabbath problems caused by their schools. The school teams or groups actually changed their schedule to accommodate the children. So we need to give hope to our children. That was Mr. Hall's uh, purpose in his sermonette. And our children give us hope, sometimes in personal expression of love, sometimes singing in the choir, and sometimes hearing them give their prayers. I know my wife was uh, babysitting many years ago for one of her nephews. And uh, one of the things that impressed her about uh, her nephew's prayer, he said, well, Father, thank you for the plum and the glass of water. It was uh, something. He had been given a plum and a glass of water. I was very thankful for that and expressing that. Uh Mrs. Meredith and I are, are fans of Dennis the Menace, and this was November 9th, and uh, just uh, kind contrary to the nature of Dennis, Dennis is kneeling by the bed praying at night with his teddy bear in the bed and Mom sitting on the edge of the bed, and Dennis the Menace prays, and God bless Mom and Dad, Grandpa, Uncle Charlie, Aunt Clara, Mr. and Mrs. Wilson, rough, Hot Dog. My turtle, Homer, Joey, Gina, and Margaret. And then he crawls into bed and says, Did I forget anybody? And Mom tucks him in and says, Yourself. She says, But I got you covered. So. But sometimes we're very inspired by our children. They give us hope. We need to give them hope. Dr. Fall discusses that element of self-control, but he emphasizes loving authority on page 13. He writes, As we have seen, Self-control is only half of what is needed to rear a well-adjusted child and adult. The second vital ingredient in loving authority is the self-esteem that is generated with unconditional love. Real love is unconditional. The Apostle Paul was inspired to write, 1 Corinthians 13, "'Love suffers long and is kind, bears all things. Love never fails.'" By the way, unconditional love, that term, occurs in Dr. Fall's booklet 11 times. What is unconditional love? He quotes Dr. Ross Campbell for a definition of unconditional love. Dr. Ross Campbell states, quote, Unconditional love means loving a teenager or a child of any age no matter what. No matter what the teenager looks like. No matter what his assets Liabilities and handicaps are, no matter how he acts. End of quote. That's from Dr. Ross Campbell, page 25, How to Really Love Your Teenager. Dr. Fall continues, Of course, parents do not always love a child's behavior, but we do love the child no matter what. God loves us, even though we make our share of mistakes. Christ loved us and died for us, even while we were going the wrong way. Then he quotes Romans 5.8, which we already read. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners or still sinners, Christ died for us. So just as parents express unconditional love toward their children, God expresses perfect unconditional love toward His children. In 2006 at the feast in Daytona Beach, One person told me that this was his first time back to keep the Feast of Tabernacles in 30 years. The person had attended 30 years ago, left God's truth, and now returned like a prodigal son. Lesson, parents don't ever give up praying for your children. And children don't ever give up praying for your parents either. That same year, 2006, in Paducah, Kentucky, at the Feast of Tabernacles, I met another person who came to me and said, this is my first time back to the Feast of Tabernacles in 40 years. There is hope. When you extend unconditional love, there is hope that someone may respond, maybe not in 5 years, 10 years, but maybe 30 or 40 years. Do you extend unconditional love? How else does God express His love? He expresses His love by creating a family. Let's turn to Ephesians, the third chapter, Ephesians 5. He's shown us His love. He calls us children. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. We read that we should be called the children of God. And if children, we are part of the family of God. Ephesians 3 and verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So God loves us. We are His children through the begettal of His Spirit. But notice what the quality of that family is to be like. Verse 17 on to verse 21. Ephesians 3, verse 17, or we'll start with verse 16, that He would grant according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He tells us to be filled with the Spirit. We'll be totally filled when we're transformed as immortal beings when Christ returns. Now to Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Oh God has given us a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to love one another. There's a sermon by that title, sermon number 426, in which I'll just share with you. We might turn back to Romans 5.5. 5, Romans 5.5. 5. How do we love one another? In that sermon I brought out that we give of your time. You share your life. And you do it for serving and hosting the upcoming winter weekend. You share and be kind to our visitors and guests that are coming in. You give of your physical gifts and physical goods. You express compassion. You involve yourself emotionally with the problems and pain of your brothers and sisters. You pray for one another. You forgive one another. You live by agape love, which is 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers long and is kind. And you love with a serving attitude. But this key is so powerful in verse 5, another one of those incredible promises God gives us. How can we have unconditional love? Verse 5, Romans 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who or which was given unto us. So God's Spirit is poured out upon us. and We need to understand as our mission as a church is to preach the gospel to the whole world as a witness and to feed the flock, those whom God calls. But we need to realize that every human being on the face of the earth has the potential of being a part of God's family. Mr. Meredith wrote in the 2008 Festival Flyer, he said, these holy days remind us that God loves all human beings, for He does not desire that any might perish, Second Peter 3, verse 9. As followers of Christ, we must radiate Philadelphian love. This outflowing concern should be on all of our minds as we keep the feast. One other quote from a co-worker letter Dr. Meredith wrote October tenth two 2005, that Uh, just uh, ingrained in my memory. He says, Dear Brethren and Co-workers with Christ, Greetings from Charlotte, North Carolina. Talk about natural disasters. Even as I write, radio and television reports tell us that tens of thousands of human beings have perished in the powerful earthquake which just struck Pakistan and parts of India. Perhaps none of these people were truly acquainted with the God of the Bible listen to this, but every human being is precious in God's sight. I hope that's a part of your value system. I hope that's what you realize. That every human being is precious in God's sight. We have to respond to God's love. How do we do that? Well, let's turn to John 15. And you know those Scriptures by heart, I hope. John 13.35, how... By this shall all men know that you are My disciples, if you have love one for another. That's John 13.35. And then John 15.13, where we're turning to now. John 15.13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Some of you have heard the story and told in different ways. This is from Chicken Soup for the Unsinkable Soul. It's a story by... Colonel John W. Mansur excerpted from the Missileer. And the title of the story is called No Greater Love. It was during the Vietnam War when an orphanage was bombed, and the children needed a blood transfusion. The doctor and nurse, American doctor and nurse, uh, did not have the blood type that was needed for. This one uh, child that was going to die and they needed to have a blood transfusion. So the doctor spoke some pigeon Vietnamese and the nurse a smattering of high school French. And using that combination, they using sign language, they explained to the, their young frightened audience, the orphans, that unless they could replace some of the girls' lost blood, she would certainly die. Then they asked if anyone would be willing to give blood to help. I'm reading from the book now. Their request was met with wide eyed silence. After several long minutes, a small hand slowly and waveringly went up, dropped back down, and then went up again. Oh thank you, the nurse said in French. What is your name? Heng H E N G, came the reply. Heng was quickly laid on a pallet, his arm swabbed with alcohol, and a needle inserted in his vein. Through this ordeal, Hang lay stiff and silent. After a moment, he let out a shuddering sob, quickly covering his face with his free hand. Is it hurting, Hang? the doctor asked. Hang shook his head. But after a few moments, another sob escaped, and once more he tried to cover up his crying. Again, the doctor asked him if the needle hurt, and again, Hang shook his head. But now his occasional sobs gave way to a steady, silent crying. His eyes screwed tightly shut, his fist in his mouth to stifle the sobs, gaining blood from him to, for the blood transfusion for the dying girl. The medical team was concerned. Something was obviously very wrong. At this point, a Vietnamese nurse arrived to help. Seeing the little one's distress, she spoke to him rapidly in Vietnamese, listened to his reply, and answered him in a soothing voice. After a moment, the patient stopped crying and looked questioningly at the Vietnamese nurse. When she nodded, a look of great relief spread over his face. Glancing up, the nurse said quietly to the Americans, he thought he was dying. He misunderstood you. He thought you had asked him to give all his blood so the girl could live. This boy was willing to give his life to give all of his blood. Of course, that was not the purpose, but he had misunderstood. But why would he be willing to do that, asked the Navy nurse. The Vietnamese nurse repeated the question to the little boy, who answered simply, she's my friend. No, John fifteen thirteen. Greater love is no man than this. The man lay down his life for his friends. So God has given us that kind of love, and we need to share our love with others. Let's turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter, for a very key scr- uh, section on unconditional love and the kind of love God wants us to demonstrate in our lives. Matthew 5, starting with verse 43. <clears throat> Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your neighbor, your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Notice that God's love for both the evil and the good, the just and the unjust. He says you need to be perfect. Some of us are perfectionists, but... That can be good, perhaps, but not in a pharisaical way. What did he mean that you should become perfect? John R. W. Stott, in his commentary, The Message of the Sermon on the Mount, calls this section in Matthew active love. page 122, he writes this, The context shows that the perfection he means relates to love, that perfect love of God which is shown even to those who do not return it. In other words, in my words, unconditional love. Indeed, scholars tell us that the Aramaic word which Jesus may well have used meant all-embracing. The parallel verse in Luke's account of the sermon confirms this, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. We are called to be perfect in love, that is, to love even our enemies, with the merciful, the inclusive love of God. So brethren, we need to have that kind of love. We read at the very beginning when I just inadvertently read how love is perfected. We were reading that in 1st John, the fifth chapter. So how do we respond to God's love? If we are to have that kind of perfect love, we need to respond in love as well. And we love Him because He first loved us, tells us in 1st John 4 and verse 19. In 1 John 5, 3, you all know, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So we have to practice unconditional love. And we respond to God's love by doing His work, by preparing the world for the coming of God's kingdom. As it tells us in Daniel 12, and verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We are all a part of that kind of mission and work to turn many to righteousness. So ask yourself, why do you love your Father in Heaven and your Savior Jesus Christ? Because God gave His Son for me. He shed His blood for me. He's purchased me. He owns me. He's paid the greatest price in the universe. Has shed blood and He owns me. I am his bond servant. We love him because he first loved us, and he paid for our sins, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. In Hebrews 7, verse 25. I've always appreciated the famous expression of Elizabeth Barrett Browning in Loving Her Husband. She wrote this poem to her husband How do I love thee? let me count the ways i love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace i love thee with the breath smiles tears all my life and if god choose i shall love i shall but love thee better after death the song of solomon has a similar kind of expression of love. The Shulamite woman says in chapter 2.16 of Song of Solomon, My beloved is mine, and I am his. And later reverses that order and says in Song of Solomon 6 and verse 3, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. We need to have that kind of passionate love towards God the Father and towards Christ. God is love. He's expressed that love in the glory of His creation, in the universe, in the galaxies, in the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, the human family, the human family made in His image. And we look forward to the millennium when all of God's creatures will learn to live in harmony and their love toward one another. But God has called us now to become like Him in divine love. And that can only come through God's Spirit shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He's demonstrated His love towards us, proven His love towards us, does it daily. He's called us His sons and His daughters. As we saw in the video today, love knows no limits. The greatest force in the universe is love. We need to pray that God will fill our hearts and minds with His divine love. We have to practice unconditional love. So let's grow in God's kind of unconditional love. As he wrote, as Jesus said, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So brethren, let's all grow in God's perfect love.